0: Oh, we had match your keeper. You are you listening to me? Gecko Podcast. welcome 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 to the ball gecko podcast so today is another edition of narrated we are talking about brentford fc a unique team so i think i want to start this way so raul garcia was talking about the spanish super cup that has been played in saudi arabia and then he said something he said maybe i'm old school in his words but football has changed and the fans have been forgotten football now is all about making money and finding sponsors we are forgetting the basics the atmosphere families enjoying games together kickoff times that suit spectators it's changed a lot since i started playing now talking about this he's talking about how the spanish cup is now in saudi arabia and how the focus of football is now about money It's now about money for big teams like psg we know their money rollers man city money chelsea money Barcelona, they just have a little bit money crisis and they're losing Lionel Messi because of how money has made them increase their wage bill in such a way that something like COVID can really affect them. Same thing is happening to everything around the world. And then there's something unique about Brentford FC. This is a team that regardless of the money issues everywhere, they still found a way around it to rise to the Premier League this season for the first time in 74 years with almost no money. So apart from Leicester, who came from a lower league up but we also know that they had a billionaire who was funding them and for this reason they had money to sign certain players and then they rose up so the difference between Leicester and Brentford is that their owners what talking about Matthew Benham is about just 20 million and then it started from loaning them 700,000 then because he's a fan the club fans decided to tell him to buy the club and then they rose through the ranks it's not like it was easy but it it took them quite a while because he bought the club in 2012 and this 2021 when they're just making it to the premier league so that's about a journey of about nine years but it was steady several times they lost in the playoffs i think like three times they lost to Fulham and then one other team and then now they are here and in their first match this season They were able to defeat Arsenal, they were able to play a 3-3 with Liverpool and they've locked horns with top teams and they're coming from the lower league and they're not down down below, fine, they're just 13th but it is modest for a club that is coming from the lower league. Most of them, you find them at the bottom line struggling not to get relegated but also peculiar about this team is that they have never been in a relegation battle, it has been up up since 2012 when Matthew Bernham came in. So we'll be talking about Brentford, how they were able to make it regardless of not having the millions of all these other clubs. And to still show you that football can still be colorful, even without all the money to throw around. So straight up, I already mentioned that Brentford is a football club that has been in the lower league for 74 years. So initially, they had a small stadium with about just 4,000 spectators being able to come and watch each match until a man helped them. So they were in depth and then Matthew Benham came up and then he loaned them 700,000 to get out of the debt. So some people are saying we don't know the full story that I would loan them 700,000 and then he said that if they cannot pay up the loan then he will have to buy the club. But the fans are saying no that that was not the story that I initially gave them 700,000 and then he was still investing in the club and then they saw how much he was so drawn into investing after he had invested like almost 100 million that they told him that baba just buy this club. Now why is this story true or not true i'll give you my own opinion so matthew benham was a physics graduate from oxford university then he went to the financial world where he met a friend tony bloom in the financial world and then he rose up to the extent where he was the vice president of the bank of america then after that he found his way into gambling (laughs) now this is very unique because he now believed in using statistics to do so many things. Before we get to that, let's talk about who Matthew Benham is in much more details. Now, this guy is somebody that there's almost no information about him online. He is very, very low key. He's so low key that nobody knows his exact age. You can imagine in this age and time, nobody knows his exact age. Nobody knows if he's actually British. <laughs> he is that low key. But we believe he's British because from his story the talks about how he fell in love with benham was that he was 11 year old and then he went to watch a match sorry with brentford it was 11 year old then he went to watch a match of brentford and from that day he fell in love with them as a childhood but why don't i believe this story because it is very evident that this guy the information out there is the information that he wants to put out there nobody knows his wife nobody knows the number of kids he has nobody knows where his houses are nobody knows almost nothing and it's so modest that He doesn't even grant interviews. It's very rare before you see him talk. The only time he spoke was when he refuted the money ball claim, which we'll get to eventually. So, as much as possible, this guy, to me, he's... I'm like, okay, can we really trust this guy? But it's uh, quite understandable because he made his millions from gambling. Gambling in the sense that he has... He's the CEO of, um, I think, Matchbook match bets and spotty bets two top gambling companies one is a company that makes available statistics for you to know how to put in your bettings (coughs) and then the other one is actually a betting company so he owns both ends and this is how he made his millions because he's very smart at using statistics to put in the right bet now it's quite understandable that because of this maybe he doesn't want to be out there because people that maybe lose their bets might make him a target or maybe he's just so low-key but he definitely has his reasons for wanting to remain like this now the unique thing about him was that after he bought the club he bought another club Midland, and then his way of managing a team is different from anything that we have ever seen before in the sense that now he's so he's so much involved with his transfers that he likes to decide and how does he decide? He uses statistics also. And how they use their statistics is very, very different from how other people do it. In the sense that other teams believe in, if you want to sign a player, you check how many goals he has scored in, how many games he has played. But they don't approach it like that. They look for players with massive potential that are undervalued. And then they play them, till they appreciate, and then they sell them off. So how does he do this with statistics? Now, instead of looking at the goals scored, he will look at other stats like... What is the quality of chances created? How how much chances did he create? That this, if they were going to sign a striker and then maybe one has scored five goals in thirty matches and the other one has scored like ten goals in thirty matches, automatically we already know that the one with ten goals has more value than the one with five goals. But they don't do it like that. They don't go straight to check the goals. They check how much chances did he have? How creative was the team that he was? How creative is he to his other teammates? And at the end of the day, by the time you discover that a player that has scored ten goals was able to score it because he had more chances and then this other one didn't have as much chances you now realize that oh this guy that has 10 goals probably scored this goal out of luck or he scored this goal because he faced more goalkeepers or he scored these goals because he was in a better team but the other one was able to make do with what he has and that was how they signed and so far it worked for him in midgieland that in the season he bought them they won their league and ever since then they've won like three other Cups now people are saying he used this same statistic to come back to Brentford and then he applied it and apparently it worked for him because right now they are in the English Premiership and they are doing very well so after doing this what they do is that once they buy these players that are undervalued but they believe that they have massive potential they sell them for a bigger price. Now, they start, for example, they bought side Ben Rahama for 3.8 million and they sold him to West Ham for 40 million. They bought Oli Watkins for 2.3 million and they were able to sell him for 36 million. They bought Neil Mopay for 2.1 million and they were able to sell him to Brighton Albion for 26 million. Every season they have been making profits from sales of player And This season in the Premiership is the first time they will not because they made plenty of recruitment so they will be able to cope at this level. Now, not only did they do this, but they also employed a pattern that is different from every other team. They did not have a youth team. Now up to 2012, Brentford were said to have invested about $1.5 million in their youth team and they were not able to get any player to be promoted to the main team. And not only that, several of their players were being poached by big teams like Man City, I've forgotten the name of a popular player that they had that was poached by Man City. Because of this, they decided that they are going to have a B team instead. Now, what is crazy about having this B team is the fact that the B team that they have, this um, idea was developed by Robert Rose according to what I read online and sadly enough Robert Rose died in 2018 at the age of 28 of heart failure massive respect to him he what he did was revolutionary now beat team eliminates a player poaching like i said before so what do their beat team do the beat team will serve like a feeder team to the main team in the sense that the beat team now was made up of players from the age of 17 to 20 that were rejects of other teams so if you are in an academy a big academy and then you are rejected which, which is usually the age that footballers get rejected that's between when they are supposed to sign a pro contract they pick these players up and then they bring them to their team and then they allow them play and they said they do this because they believe that value should not be determined until he has played at least 35 games meaning if you are rejected in your other club you have an opportunity to come approve yourself at brentford on a large scale and they do this in the way that their b team now serves like another team on its own and they keep playing football matches. They play against under-19s, under-23s of other teams just to build momentum. You know what these players are capable of. And from this B team, the moment they sell their star players, because they are a team that make their money from selling their star players. immediately they sell the Ole Watkins, the Ben Rahama. They go to the B team and pick players and move them to the first team. Now, you cannot sign players from their B team according to the rules in the English Premiership. You can't push. From them because they are signed under a contract because they are like a team you have to pay them and nobody will want to take the risk of signing somebody from a b team that has not played in the main league so it worked like magic for them that immediately they move you from the b team to replace the other players in the a team they prove themselves and the standout performance amongst them they sell them up immediately and because of this they were able to make millions to keep the club afloat until they are able to get to the premier league right now where they are now for the first time they've spent more than they have purchased so the unique thing about this team is that they make more money from sales than from purchase because of this so now people were accusing um, them that it is a money ball there's if you've watched the movie Moneyball, where is where a movie that about buying players that are undervalued and then selling them for a high price but he said no that that's not what he does that he's purely statistics and so far so good like i said earlier statistic has worked for him beautifully in making his millions and also in running his clubs now what i'm trying to take or what i'm trying to gather from all of this story is that regardless of how much money can spoil a thing a beautiful thing on several fronts sometimes there is still always a way football is so multi-dimensional that if you can sit down enough to walk and walk around your difficulties you can still bring out a beautiful team Brentford is a team that aside uh, from doing all of this, they said they also use statistics to sign the players that they are going to sign after finding out all these details in the sense that if they have a team that is doesn't have good crossers, they will not sign a striker that is best at heading. So if they have a team that is full of short people, they will not work, they won't focus on their set piece. Talking about set pieces. They also did a stats to find out that 40% of the goals that Midland scored to win their league was from set pieces, 41% of their goals. Meaning, focusing on set pieces can also... These people finding a way around the system to work for them. So they hired coaches, they hired several people to determine how they will cross the ball, where each player will stand. If you watch very closely, this year too, Chelsea has scored a lot of goals from set-pieces, including recently the match that he played against Tottenham. It's because they hired a coach that that is his focus, that's his specialty, set-piece. All of this was stolen from the book of Brentford, in a way, in the sense that people are looking for loopholes, even amidst, without having to spend billions of money, and it's beautiful to see that football can still rise beyond this person is richer or this person is poorer. And it just brings so much color to this beautiful game in such a way that I really admire Brentford for. And as hard as it is even in the premiership, I'm happy to see them. This they really started very well, taking out Arsenal and very thrilling games and it has not been easy for any other team even when they played Chelsea it was very hard they've beaten West Ham they've locked horns with the biggest of the biggest and also because of the way the owner runs the club he has to hire managers that are willing to agree to these statistics and for the first time this year even though some people are saying that this is not the true story people are saying that Matthew Benham sacked their coach, the coach that brought them up from the lower league because he did not believe much in him using statistics. And they were able to stick to Thomas Frank, who is their current coach now, that he believed in that system and that they believed so much in him and their system that even though he won just one match in his first 10 games in charge of the club in 2018, they still stuck with him. And then there are rumors also that even when um, there was a time Borussia Dortmund was struggling with relegation, they said on Matthew Benham's list that they were the second best team in La Liga. Meaning back then he saw the potential in them because of the kind of players that he had. And eventually we all saw that Borussia Dortmund rose up and they are now a formidable team. So the beauty of Benham is that he can use statistics to predict the future the same way as use statistics to make millions and it's beautiful to know this too with the emergence of sports science even though sadly now it only means that the top guns or the big teams can take a leaf from their book and strengthen themselves even more but i believe if there's any other thing or if there's any other advantage for the first time a lower the underdog have an advantage because now all these small teams will not want to have a b team all these small teams will not want to take a reject from a league they'll rather from a team they would rather take out the best stars not only does it give opportunities to people that have been rejected to actually step up and prove themselves it also gives an opportunity for underdogs to also have a fighting chance to also have a tactic to fight these big guns and it's beautiful to watch it in play to show these money spenders even though my team is one of them that is not only about money and even though right now with the covid 19 crisis in the world the lack of money is affecting the game a whole lot leading to almost the super league taking over everything before everybody fought back it's beautiful really To see a team like Brentford. And for this, I have deep, deep affection for this team. I love to watch the way they attack, even their style of play. I really appreciate it. Also, they said he he really wants he counts goals. That is more about goals than any other thing. I don't know, maybe it's the way he gambles or anything, but he wants a manager that will always score goals, regardless of how much they are conceding. He just wants his players to score goals, which is why they are very attack-minded. And I believe Brentford. Are a team that will be in the Premier League for a very long time, and I strongly believe that it can only get better. With time, they will be in the top ten. With time, maybe they will even be able to challenge for the top six. Who knows? But with Matthew Benham in charge, the enigma guy that nobody really knows whatever is up to at any time, the sky is only the starting point for Brentford. So I hope you enjoyed this narrative with me talking about Brentford FC, and the next time. They are going to play a premiership match. I hope you'll be watching out for them too, like I am. It only brings more color to the English premiership, really, to know that every team, even the ones that seem like they are just coming from the lower league, every team has something to offer. Every team has a different approach. Every team is just here to make the beautiful game more colorful. So have a wonderful day, and we look forward to the next podcast. Bless.
1: You've been listening to Ball Gecko Podcast. Hi guys, welcome to the Afcon segment of the Ball Gecko Podcast, made brighter by MTN. And today we're going to be talking defenders, defenders of the African Cup of Nations. We've seen some defenders. I mean, we've seen a lot of one-nil scorelines this, um, this <laughs> tournament.
0: So you think it's the defenders
1: that yeah, are doing well? definitely. <laughs> you have to look at them and say, these guys are defending very well. I think, I think
0: well. it's best. They'll say, um, they'll say if it's a 0-0 scoreline, look at the bright side. It means the defenders are doing the, the right job. Exactly. The good job.
1: They are earning their money. <laughs> and we've seen um, some really good defenders uh, at the Africa Cup of Nations. We've seen yeah. Kong and Omero were imperious against
0: Egypt. True. Same thing, we've not seen the Lord of all our defenders yet because of COVID, Kulibali. Yeah, true. We I haven't seen Kulibali,
1: but we did see um Korka against Algeria almost single handedly saving them the game as well.
0: Yeah, Omeri we saved us our game, too. yeah, he did. I mean, same injured. thing
1: online defended yes, so very Olajano well, too. True. So, we want to look at their predecessors and see which of these African defenders really was the greatest at, Af- at their was the greatest at the Africa Cup of Nations. We've seen a lot of defenders come to the Cup of Nations and prove their mark. We've seen players like Sami Kufo. We've seen players like Robert... um, (sighs) We've seen players like Rigobert Song.
0: We've seen players like Christian Chukwu. That guy, that song guy is like a rock. I remember every time Nigeria plays against um, Cameroon. Mm. I know we've always had um, strong yeah, But he just... Because like himself Dijk. was strong, Van exactly. Because <laughs> he was tall and everything, tall, with that his hair, intimidating. It was like a work of art, <laughs> and he was actually a really good penalty kicker yes. as well. Yeah, and he was actually fast. You know, funny enough, thinking about it, I, it, apart from Van Dyke, I've not really seen any defender with that frame. But now that you mentioned Song, it was almost that same kind of frame too. This. Van Dijk is just another level. So, about <laughs> the African guys, I think let's take it home now. Taribo West.
1: Yeah, we also had Pastor Taribo West as yes. well. It was <laughs> a very view. good for Nigeria at the Africa Cup of Nations as well. Played for a lot of top clubs, Inter Milan, East Milan BC as well.
0: Milan. Did they win the Nations Cup with us? So, uh, thinking about... Did Taribo West win the Nations Cup for us? No, I don't think he did win the Nations Cup for us because uh, he was runner-up in
1: 2000. Yes. You remember the yes. penalty by the guy we just mentioned, Rigobert Song, that won it for Cameroon on home soil? And I particularly cannot wait for us to... Exact revenge <laughs> against Cameroon <laughs> Maybe and be win. The, final. <laughs> yes, now this year. Win the tournament in Yaoundé. That would be like the best thing ever. Man, we,
0: we deserve to celebrate this year. Exactly. I, I'm hoping the super Eagles will bring something home for us. But um,
1: yeah, the never trophy. The main trophy, not the Please, third, not third place trophy. <laughs> we are
0: tired of third place. We're tired of anything. <laughs> What about um, Joseph Yobo? Between Joseph Yobo and Taribo West, who do you think was a more formidable uh, defender? Well, for, the the, for for
1: Nigeria, I would say it was Joseph Yobo, for one thing, because there was uh, more longevity on his part. I mean, he holds, he held the record mm. before Ahmed Musa for the most number of appearances for Nigeria. Yes, yes. And he was solid throughout. Right and from, he won the Nations Cup. He won the, exactly, <laughs> in he won the Nations Cup in 2013. Although you would want to pity Taribo because in as much as we will say okay he didn't really win the nation's cup but you remember in uh, the the periods where he most likely could have won the nation's cup were periods where Nigeria were not allowed to play the nation's cup in uh, 96 and 98 due to some you know some stuff that we might not want to get into on, on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think those times because they just won it in 94 so he might have been in that squad really that vein yeah exactly and quality they, they would have had a chance to win the nation's cup but he's been runner runner up uh, once and third place a number of times like most nigerian players of that era true then um i think koloturi yeah, we definitely have to mention Kolo Ture, One of the best defenders to come out of Africa, yes. even in recent time as well. Yes. And, and he's also won the Nations Cup, so yeah, we have to give that to him as well. I think he played in one of
0: the best. He went around, to tell you his quality, for mm-hmm. a player to play in Liverpool, play in Man City, play in, yeah. Arsenal. Play in Arsenal, one and of the Invincibles. There's no beef, you can imagine. So he, he was, to tell you his level of professionalism, mm-hmm. and then how dear he is to the fans that, Nobody took it personal, even though it was going round and round. I mean it's just three clubs now, how about? it's Arsenal. Yeah, and, and Liverpool. then Liverpool and, and City. Then City. I don't I don't think any other player has gone like that round. Well, maybe not, but ah. I mean the beef couldn't have been so much. True, Sharp. But maybe Arsenal, Chelsea then they would have been yeah, Exactly. Beef. there would have been serious Liverpool. beef.
1: <laughs> but, I mean, you just mentioned Arsenal and Chelsea, and they've both had some really good uh, African defenders Yes, well. Jeremy. Jeremy, Babayaru. Yes,
0: Babayaru. Laurent,
1: who gave Nigeria hey, gave Nigeria hell whenever <laughs> we played against Cameroon as well. I think... Cameroon,
0: are... definitely, all of them have given us a, a, the old squad. <laughs> as a matter of fact, is it a 2-2 a up front? Buma. Ah. All ah. these, yeah. Like you said, the entire squad always gives us serious trouble. Yeah, I, you know, I think they were the first to start wearing all those jerseys that were really body tight and did. Yes. you can't <laughs> even hold them. They are like, like can you just imagine
1: Rigobert Song in one of those jerseys? That's 2004. Um, that 2004, 2002
0: armless jerseys. <laughs> those guys were huge. Serious, scary stuff. Huge guys. Every time, they, every time we play against them, and then I think it was about Femi and the likes. Yeah, they are lost. Like. You must, during corner you will even see, see Abafemi Matthew how do you want to see 5 foot 6 Abafemi <laughs> Matthew against 6 foot 2 you at the corner there's no way but it's I, not even possible Africa has turned out some really really good defenders since we're talking about defenders only I think Michael Asien plays two sometimes yeah
1: sometimes, sometimes but I mean but it's mostly a
0: defensive midfielder yeah mostly
1: a defensive midfielder I think if we're going to talk about Ghanaian defenders then number one has to be Sammy Kufo yes for everything yes, that he yes. did both for Ghana and um, outside Ghana I think he was just just unfortunate not to win the Africa Cup of Nations at any point, despite being in one of the talented generations of Ghanaian football. But I mean, if you are able to become one of the players to qualify Ghana for their first ever World Cup, then it's something that you have to be proud about. True, true. I think he was one of the top defenders for Ghana as well. Um, Maybe John Mensah as well in that period as well was also really good for Ghana but these players are mostly players who made their name outside of Africa playing for Bayern Munich, Inter Milan True. but there are some defenders I think Walgoma who was part of that Egyptian team that did the 3 over Africa and he was a constant in the team always solid always dependable to go that length and be of that much quality i think his name should be brought up as one of the greatest the A- funny thing A- is
0: like yeah because you said you are talking about people that are playing in africa and they mm. to bring more quality there's something about their league in egypt it's quite formidable because you can see from our highly how they can go on streak winning the calf, calf champions, champions league. league as if it's their bitch, right <laughs> And it's it's beautiful. I I pray that our football will get to that level eventually, where all our leagues will be so strong that we can pick players. All these issues of COVID not releasing yeah. players, it's really be it nice. would not matter because you
1: could just yes, pick, pick, pick someone any from home the local base. league and know that this person is good enough. We'll
0: get there, the team. It's it's gradually. Europe too didn't get here overnight. I believe in us. One Africa.
1: Well, um, going back to Ivory Coast and talking about um, the defenders that really made their name in Ivory Coast. One of Koloture's defensive partners also deserves to be on this list and that's Didier Zocora. Hmm. Tottenham's Didier Zocora. He was really good. I, I thought you were even
0: going to say him um, Ebue.
1: Yeah, Ebue as well. Ebue was really good for Arsenal. Yes, he was. I mean, when he was at the peak of his game, he was one of the best right yes. backs. Funny in, enough, in, uh, he in Africa as well.
0: Arsenal have even forgotten all about him. He was. He was. Which would be really unfortunate because else. he was. What I mean, it was
1: almost I, like a progression. Yes. From African fullback to African fullback, in that they went from Laurent of yes. Cameroon
0: to Ebue of um, Ivory Coast. Ivory Coast. We've had some beautiful players. Yeah, we really on, have, especially in really really the especially uh, the right backs and the and left, left backs because like Africa we always have that pace I mean we, we always we have could that talk strength. of Tai Taiwa as well yes exactly Olympic Marseille that started from um, the under-17 where it was yeah. third Mercy was that was under-20 Mercy was first Mikel was two yeah and Taiwo
1: was third as well.
0: Tai Taiwo is still playing football. Did you know that? Yeah, he is. He is. He is. Maybe not in the kind of clubs that will be looking yes. out for. I MVP, heard a, recently that he, he got signed. I said he still believes in playing football. Blah blah. Another thing about Nigeria, because we have so many talents, we quickly churn them out. Like see, Victor Moses still playing well, but still he can't come to the national. But I don't team think he's on. The, he's
1: not on the level where we want a True. national True. team player to be True. at the moment. True. So is there any defender that you think we've forgotten, or any defender that
0: you think should still be in the list? I, I feel if we've not mentioned your defender, don't be offended. We can't go through all of them, really. The, that's the honest truth. But we didn't
1: mention Big Boss Steve Keshi, one of the only African players, uh, African people to win the um, Cup of Nation as a player and as a, a coach. coach. Maximum that? respect to
0: the man. One backbone one, one of science. the best
1: Nigerian teams of all time.
0: He's great see even up till now this the new generation or the 94 generation them um omokachi them they still talk about him i think they still talk about how much of an influence he was mm-hmm. he he's like he was like Putting a big brother the room to all and, of on them the pitch as well. even after he retired he he's just such a vibe i'm i'm glad that at least we're able to celebrate him especially with him bringing the nation's cup as a manager he was able to get a house and all these other stuff <clears throat> And up to now, good things are still being said about him. I, to me, I think that's my man. If I was going to go with one person, it would be him. Because he did it as a player. He did it as a manager again. Massive, massive respect. And he's Nigerian. I'm proud to be Nigerian <laughs> because of him Of course, like this. of course
1: you are. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been the AFCON section or segment rather of the Ball Gecko podcast made brighter by MTN. See you next time. <laughs>
0: us ball gecko podcast for more content please follow us on instagram facebook twitter tiktok and youtube at ball gecko also check out our website at www.ballgecko.com